Welcome to Communion House Podcast with Pastor Moses Anderson, a ministry raised by God for the rebirth of the early church, with a strong commitment to seeing others rise and shine as in those days. Get ready for this timely teaching and encouraging word. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father, we give you praise. Now, I just want to quickly give others an opportunity, including those watching online, to tap into that word if you have a blessing that is being delayed you know pastor will said folks said oh maybe 30 years ago but not now but the word of god says now faith is and today is the day of salvation and so if you are here and you know there are things i'm going to pray for you in a minute but i just want to quickly say this one of the things that the Lord was saying to me while I sat there. And by the way, this is communion house. We hear God around here. And so get used to hearing the Lord said to me. The Lord said to me. Everybody who came here today said something that the Lord said to them. You see, because if we serve a God that does not speak, how are we different? How can we claim that we serve a living God when we don't hear him? You see, when I was growing up, my dad was gone mostly Monday through Fridays because of the nature of his work. Even when he was done from the office, he was still in the office because of the kind of work that he did. He was always thinking. He was always processing stuff. He was always sifting through stuff. And so even though he was gone Monday through Friday, I never really felt like he wasn't there because I always spoke to him. He would call. I would hear his voice. And there were times wherein the way that I felt his presence was through my siblings. They would do things just like him. Sometimes they would have traits and they would manifest attributes of the man. So even though he wasn't physically there, we still were connected. And I just heard God say that while I was sitting there, that there are many of my children here who are in my house, but they are in their rooms. They're not coming out to talk to me. And they keep claiming, well, maybe if we see him, we will engage him. Do you know the disciples of Jesus, after following Jesus for three years, almost three years, they said to Jesus, they were like, well, we, we've seen you. You've, you've been a good guy. You know, if at times we were hungry and had nothing to eat, you fed us. Literally pulled bread out of thin air, almost. They said, but that's not enough. We want to see the Father. And Jesus was like, wait a minute. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How profound. Do you know that many of us, when we are praying in our closets, we seem to take it more seriously than when we come into fellowship just like this one. Whereas, if I were you, I would take this a bit more serious than when I'm interceding and seeking God's face in my closet. Why? Even though God is there with you everywhere, there is a special dose of God's presence that is here when we gather in his name. And so coming here and not throwing yourself into the singing, into the worship, not participating, not throwing yourself into it, it's like being in your father's house and locking yourself up in your room. Now there is no parent in here that enjoys that certainly not me when i'm at home 
I want my children to be around. Even if they're making noises and doing all kinds of stuff, at least I want to see them. You see, when they lock themselves up in their room, it just makes me feel like they don't love me. It makes me feel like they may be up to no good. And most times when children lock themselves up in their room, they're up to no good. Because, you know, the Bible says that sin thrives in secrecy. Oh yeah, the Bible says the one that wants to do his own will isolates himself. You see what I mean? When you isolate yourself, it's because of the fact that you want to do your will, not the will of your father. If you want to do the will of your father, you will do it in the congregation of the righteous. So I want to encourage you folks. I, I enjoy so much of God's presence in here that it breaks my heart when I feel like someone else is not drawing from it what I am drawing from it. Because when I stand here, God speaks to me. When I'm here, he touches my heart. You know, for a couple of weeks, I struggled with procrastination. The stuff that I want to do, I just feel so overwhelmed. But guess where God took care of it? He took care of it in his presence, just here. I was here one of these Sundays and the Lord took care of it. And I didn't even know until I saw myself knocking things out. In the last two weeks, just knocking things out. I want to get this done. Sometimes before my wife says, oh, will you do this? It's already done. When she's here talking about it, you know that feeling when your wife is asking you to do stuff that you've already done? I, yeah, it feels great. <laughs> Most times I feel like Jesus just rose from the dead. Like literally, that kind of excitement. Yeah, you feel like a superhero. You know, when she's like, oh, well, it's Sunday evening. You need to take out the trash. And I'm like, <laughs> I did already. Let me tell you something. There is none of us here. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you do well, will you not know it? The way God designed and the way God created us, when we do right and we do well, we know it. It's just that sometimes the pride of life will not let us admit that we're not doing well. And so we blame others and we put up a front. When you're not being nice to your spouse, you know you're not being nice to your spouse. But then you put up a strong face. And you're like, I'm just going to wait until they apologize. And God is looking at you and saying, why don't you? Just go ahead. You know, this morning, one of the messages that I was going to preach this morning, I was really kind of like asking God for me to preach that message again that I once preached is a message titled, I preached it about two years ago, Stop the Bleeding. You know, but the Lord didn't give me the go ahead, but I'm still going to mention a little bit of it anyway. You see, when I preached that message about two years ago, I know some of you were here when I preached that message. What God showed to me was that many of us the enemy comes, life happens, and we have a boo-boo. You, you sustain an injury and you start to bleed. But rather than stopping the blood from flowing, we just let it go on. And you're like, no, I don't do that. I don't know which silly people you know, Brother Moses, but when I, when I, have, a, when I have an injury, I, I mend it. But let me tell you something, we all do that emotionally. We all do that spiritually. We all do that in our relationships. You've just had an argument with a friend of yours. Five minutes of yelling at each other. So Satan comes and takes five minutes from you. Five minutes that you could have spent enjoying heaven here on earth. As Pastor Will was saying, heaven is already here. And now after yelling at each other for five minutes, you've already bled out five minutes of your lives. Rather than quickly making up and enjoying the remainder of the day. You spend another five hours letting them know how much they hurt you in that five minutes. 
that is five hours more or five more hours that you will never get back. There are many dimensions to what I'm saying, but I know it's for some people in here. Five minutes of argument should stop right there. Spending another five hours to prove to that person that you were right is letting life go out of you and away from you. Stop the bleeding. You know for two weeks you have been walking around the house not really talking to anybody just because you want them to know that you don't like the way they do stuff around that house and you just want to let them feel bad. Two weeks you've done that. The Lord is saying to you today whoever you are stop the bleeding. Right from inside the car today start being nice. Start being friendly. There's no reason for you to make them feel bad for what they've done. If God should make you feel bad for what you've done, all the fire and flames in hell is not enough. But God doesn't want you to continue to feel bad for what you've done. He says the days of your ignorance I have winked at and going forward I do not even record iniquity against you. Simply because he wants you to enjoy the fullness of life. But here you are. You want to intentionally make others feel bad for what they have done. When will the bleeding stop? I want to say to you today. Today. Let that bleeding stop today. You see because it's pointless. To say that man you hurt me so so bad. And whatever that person did. May have been all of five minutes of foolish thinking. And another five minutes of foolish acting. But then that translates into five months of malice in your heart. Five months that you let the devil take away from you that you may never get back. Just tell yourself today, I may not feel good just yet about what happened, but I'm going to be good about what has happened. Because we can't stay in the place of our feelings. Our feelings are too erratic, too mundane, too unpredictable, and too animalistic for us to live by them. We're not animals. We are men. Made in the image and in the likeness of God. There are times wherein we do things just by making the decision to get them done. As opposed to waiting until it feels right. Anyway, that's a good segue into what I'm going to be speaking about today. Because today I announced to the leaders as we were having an opening uh, prayer meeting in the small room. And I said to them, I said I'm beginning a series today that is titled The Order of Things. You see there is an order that things have to be in. For them to work. Look at how good it is. For this Bible to be standing. Or to be placed upon this podium. Now imagine how annoyed. And disrespecting it will be. You will be annoyed. It will be disrespecting. If I suddenly take this podium. And I put it on this Bible. I still have everything that I need. I have a podium and I have a Bible. But the order is wrong. Do you know that many of the things that we complain about in our lives are things that we're supposed to be thankful for, but because they exist in the wrong order, they create pain in our lives. You know my favorite example, the disciples, when Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. The wind that came to move them to the other side came but because their hearts were not ready to receive it, they complained about that which was supposed to aid them. And someone is like, yeah, but they were terrified. 
Oh yes, because they were awake. Why didn't they do just like Jesus when he says, let us go to the other side. If the word of God says we're going to the other side, I am just going to sleep and rest in the word. But because they're so accustomed to making things happen on their own, they stayed up and that which the Lord sent to bless them now started to torment them because the order wasn't right. Let me give you a very simple example that might be a little bit too out there. Come with me to the book of Jude. We're just going to quickly read a verse of scripture here. If I remember correctly, the book of Jude is just one chapter. And when my wife read today from the book of Obadiah, I could tell in the room some people were like, what in the world was that? Obadiah what? Obadiah. I mean, when was the last time you read Obadiah? Can I see your hand up? Okay, that's like never. <laughs> Obadiah is not one of those books that you hear God saying to you, go and read. It's not that God doesn't say it, you just don't hear it. Even me, I can't remember the last time the Lord said to me, go and read Obadiah. Because I'd be like, get thee behind me. But you know, every scripture the Bible says is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so when, when we hear things like that, take it as a challenge. Don't just say, you know what, that lady does too much. Who reads from Obadiah? Just... To lead prayer for five minutes you could have gone to matthew mark luke and john there is psalms and proverbs you you need you needed to go to obadiah you are the doer of the most so rather than say she is the doer of the most i say to you maybe you are the doer of the least maybe you all need to do more so i'm gonna go read obadiah when we finish service today and i i hope you do the same you know, the Bible says, let us be followers of those who do good. And also, let us provoke one another unto good works. You see what I mean? I started to study the Bible at the age of eight. Because my brother, who was four years older than me, in age, was already called a youth minister at church. And he would get on the microphone and he would quote scriptures. And I would feel so outdone. I didn't start reading the Bible because I loved God. No, I didn't. In fact, for the first two years of reading the Bible, it was not about the love of God. It was the fact that the guy knew more scriptures than me. And that used to bother me. Because he was not even nice about it. And when I challenged him, I said, but you're not nice about these things. He says, but niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. So he continued being not nice about it. He would just ask me, be like, what is in Jeremiah 4, 7? And I'd be like, who, you mean? He says, no, Jeremiah is a book in the Bible. I'm like, oh, I thought it was the guy next door. He would do things like that just to torment me. But guess what? I took a cue from that behavior. And I'm telling you today, when someone is quoting from Obadiah, don't just call them doer of the most. Be aggressive about it. Go do something about it. She is God's child the way you are God's child. And if she knows how to quote scriptures from Obadiah, then you need to go and find your own scriptures from the book of Nahum. <laughs> and somebody's like, Nahum? Or Nay what? No, Nahum is in the Bible. Now I'm just showing off because I, I don't like being outdone. If my wife is saying Obadiah, I want to say something strange too. Jude chapter 1 verse 12. So it's only one chapter, so this is Jude 12. It says, these are spots 
in your love feast while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves they are clouds without water carried about by the winds late autumn trees without fruit twice dead pulled up by the roots verse 13 says raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever the description here sounds very awful but this is what the bible or this is the way the bible describes you and me when we are being unnecessarily dramatic when we are being endlessly emotional the bible says twice dead number one you have no fruits secondly you have even been uprooted from the ground and you're still there boasting in foolishness see when we continue to allow ourselves to be driven by our emotions the bible says look at them he says they are being driven by the wind they are like wandering stars I understand that every now and again you would have things happen. Someone will say something that will offend you. Jesus said it. He says offenses will not but come. He says but happy is he who is not offended for my sake. So I want to encourage you folks. You notice that I was already going into my message. But I find myself coming back to this point. Wherein the Lord would have me say to you. Stop the bleeding and stop it now. Make peace Pick up the phone when you leave this place and call them. They are the ones who are supposed to say they're sorry, but tell them that you are sorry. The reason why you are sorry is not because you did something wrong necessarily, but because you failed to do something right that was necessary. The Bible says that both you who fail to do good and the ones who do evil, you are in the same classroom repeating that same class. The Bible says to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. I don't like the way my sister spoke to me on the phone two weeks ago. And so because of that, I am not going to call her. In fact, I'm not even going to pray for her. If anything at all, if my name, if her name comes out in my prayers, it will be me praying against her. You know the kind of prayers we say to some people or for some people or over some people we'll pray that God will show them that they have wronged you. It's not in the Bible. The closest thing to that in the Bible was a prayer that Job said. He went to God and he says, God, show each of us where we have gone wrong. Now this was a man who was afflicted. He was going through a lot of loss and pain. Even his own wife came and says, this is so horrible. You're justified in cursing God and dying afterwards. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You're already worse than dead. This man was going through hell and high water. And his friends came. And they didn't come from the next town. They didn't come from the next door. They came from far away. Imagine if someone gets on the plane and comes to the town where you're at just to tell you how bad you're doing. You're not going to appreciate that very much, will you? 
The friends of, of Job, Bildad the Shuite, Zilpah, and the Naamatite, whatever his name is, Eliphaz, they all came. And the reason why their names are very critical and important for us to know was at the time when Job lived, there were men who did not even have names. <laughs> you didn't know? There were men at the time that Job lived who did not have names. There was no point giving them a name. They were just slaves. They belonged to the group of people who cut down trees and that was it. And some who had names, nobody would write down their names because it took so much money and influence to actually approach the learned. Talk less of asking them to write down things about you. And so for these guys to have had their names hedged into history and written down meant that they were people of renown. And they came to Job and told Job, look, we know you must have had a relationship with God at some point, but now God doesn't do things like this. He doesn't take away the things that he's given to you. He doesn't. And they said all kinds of foolishness that they did not even know. They said things that they did not know. Job was in fact hurt by the things they said. But he never went to God and said to God, God, look at how stupid these boys are. They've allowed their wealth and influence to make them feel like they have arrived. They've allowed their education to make them feel like they can talk to me anyhow. They have allowed the fact that I've once listened to them and asked for counsel. They now feel like they can talk to me anyhow. God, deal with them. That is what most of us would but Job did not do that. Job was like, God, show each of us, them and myself, where we have gone wrong. Do you know that when the Lord showed me that scripture, I immediately started to see where I went wrong in some situations that I blamed other people for. God started to show to me that that person that I went to see who spat in my face he told me not to go. But I'm like, but I really want to go though. So when God wasn't watching, I sneaked out of the house. And when I went there, it was a very horrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> when God wasn't watching, like there was a time he's not watching. I would sneak out of the house and disobey God. But guess what? That person who hurt my feelings becomes the problem. I blame them for everything. I stopped talking to them. I complained to God about them. And God is like, but in the first place, I told you not to go. If you had been sensitive to my spirit and my leading, you would not have found yourself in that situation. I guarantee you, if you begin to meditate on that verse of scripture and begin to apply the wisdom and the principle in it, you will find out very quickly that most of what you blame your spouse for, you have a part in it. At least at the minimum, you married them. Let's start from there. You see what I mean? Most of what, I said that jokingly, but in reality, most of what we blame other people for, we have a part in it. But quite often, we are too obsessed with our need for justice and, and, and vindiction or whatever you call it, that we, we blame other people and not see ourselves. And you're like, okay. So what is the true order of things? Jesus said it this way. He said, you are always quick to point out the flint in your brother's eyes. You know what a flint is? Like a little stick, almost like a toothpick, right? Something as little as that. 
is in your brother's eyes. He says, but you forget that there is a log in your own eyes. I mean, so this is what we do. We always find fault in other people. Whereas, if you would just turn around for a second to look at yourself, you will run. Let me tell you something. Most times, if we turn and look at ourselves, we will stop judging other people the way we do. You see, the order of things is such that before you find fault in somebody else, ask yourself, Lord, examine my heart. Am I assessing this situation right? This is almost like a continuation from last week's message in case you haven't noticed. Because in reality, what happens is most times the world teaches us to seek what we call justice. Quote, unquote. That person's done wrong. They must pay. The question is, how much have you paid for the wrong that you do? Or for the right that you fail to do? At the minimum, like I was saying last week, when somebody wrongs you, the least you can do is to not even take offense in the first place. But you have already taken offense, which is what the Lord says not to do. So when are you going to settle that score between you and the Lord and in your heart before you go ahead to try to beat that person up and make them feel bad for what they have done? Let's go back to this Jude chapter 12 and then read from verse 10. He says, let's even just read from 11. He says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, having run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. The rebellion of Korah. The error of Balaam. And the way of Cain. Have something common to them. And you know what's common to all of them? The people that perpetrated evil in every one of those instances. Put others before God for judgment. Rather than putting themselves before God for examination. Every single one of them. When you get home, I want you to study the lives of those three people that were mentioned. The rebellion of Korah. The error of Balaam. And the way of Cain. But let's use the example of Cain that you all are familiar with. The Bible says that in the beginning God created man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And they had a child, his name was Cain. And afterwards they had another one, his name was Abel. I say the word afterwards clearly because that's what the Bible says. Because there is a demonic doctrine that is floating in the air. It's very, very prevalent in the United States of America. Wherein people are saying that Cain and Abel were twins. They had them about the same time. One was born of the seed of Satan. The other was, other was born of the seed of Adam. I want to say to you quite categorically and emphatically because there is a cult in the church that is preaching that gospel it is a lie the bible says that after a while a time passed afterwards that afterwards was in a couple of minutes Cain was significantly older than Abel and Cain was the seed of Adam he was not the seed of the serpent now someone is like wow who would even think that oh you'd be surprised I had a group of people come together. They nominated somebody as their representative. They wrote it out and came to me and they were insisting that I teach that. This was two years ago. But before they came, the Lord had revealed to me their table that they were of the occult. But these were men of God with titles. And you're like, but why would they teach that? 
The reason why they would teach that is because of the fact that a time is coming such as we live in now, wherein people would tell you there is something about your DNA that needs to be corrected because it originally came from Satan. Do you know that when they wanted to teach that thing, it sounded so off, so weird. I didn't even know what they were going to get out of it. But one thing that I knew was that whenever somebody was trying to change scriptures, they have a hidden, they have a hidden agenda. I told them off with the fire of God in my eyes. But look at where we are today. We are fast approaching that place where men will suggest that you are no longer enough to fight diseases on your own because God did not make you well enough. We are coming to a time wherein we have been told systematically to question the work of God and to call God a failure because now we need man to save us. We never had the DNA of Satan in our system. We were completely made in the image and in the likeness of God. Sin can interact with our minds, but our DNA is God's. I remember that now when I was speaking about Cain. Cain was Adam's son. And when Cain sinned against God, the error of omission, you know, there are two main kinds of sins. The error of commission, the error of omission. It's either you do wrong or you fail to do good. So what he failed to do was present an offering that was acceptable to God. And let me tell you something, God was okay with it. Because God knew that they were still young and they needed to learn how to do stuff. And so it was just a conversation. He needed to have gone to God and say, uh, but um, my younger brother, the guy doesn't even do much. He sits around all day. His animals feed themselves. You know that Abel read animals. He was a shepherd. He had animals. He was a husbandman, as they would call them. And most husbandmen, they're not as busy as the ones who cultivate and plant stuff. Because at the time, they're bent over, cutting into the ground and preparing the ground for seed. And by the time they're done, while they were supposed to be resting, and they lift up their eyes, the one they planted the other day is now ripe, ready for harvest. So they were always busy around the clock. But Abel was this guy who would sit down and let his animals go and eat grass and come back. And he would even stroke them for his own pleasure. And then at the end of the day, kill them for his own food. So the guy didn't seem to Cain to have done enough. And yet God accepted his offering. And so rather than ask God, he came to that conclusion on his own that God is not a fair God. I am working my behind off to grow grains for all of these people to eat. In fact, do you know that he went and historically, Jewish history says that he actually said to Cain, to Abel, your animals are eating my grass. And that one was like, you too, you would eat the animal when they get fat. So what's the problem here? Somebody help me. But unfortunately, there was nobody to help them. But here is the deal. The order of things was for Cain to have gone to God and say, God, you didn't accept my sacrifice. But may I just mention that you accept Abel's sacrifice. What, what did he do right that I didn't get? Can you just tell me where I have gone wrong? Help me to fix this log in my eyes. But you know what he did? He took Abel before the Lord to say, why is this one accepted and I'm not? You see what I just did there? He could have said, God, why am I not accepted? 
and he is can I learn something about me but he concluded that he must have done everything right and that the fault was not his fault <laughs> my wife says he's probably narcissistic yeah because people who are narcissistic there's never anything wrong with them but then here we see that the Bible tells us what he did wrong. The Bible says the haste or the, what's the word here? Let's borrow the same word from Jude 11. They say, the Bible says, woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain for they have run greedily in the error. You see, when you're always thinking about your own self, how am I going to feel good about this situation? How do I feel honored in this situation? I feel totally disrespected. You know that guy came into the room and he said hello to everybody else, shook their hands, but to me, he just gave me a thumbs up. Now, World War III must begin today. <laughs> I saw him. He came in. He shook hands with Chris. He hugged Charles. And then I was there and was just like... <laughs> and so because I make the entire situation about me. I don't even know. Maybe the guy has... Uh, some kind of pain in his arm and he cannot reach to where I was. No, I, it sees about me. The Bible says the problem with these three people was they were not thinking about anybody else but themselves. They were greedy. They were self-centered. They were self-focused. When you put yourself before others, that is not the order of the kingdom. And it is the genesis of hate. It is the genesis of pain. It is the genesis of murder. We read in the book of Genesis, all that trouble started in Genesis because folks were thinking about themselves. Do you know that Adam and Eve, if they had taken a minute to think about God, they would not have eaten the fruit. But they thought about themselves because the serpent knew that if I can just put them before others, then their vision gets clogged of everything else. And that disorderliness is costing us till today. Someone says, help me understand, Brother Moses, how putting God before themselves would have helped. You know that they did not make themselves. God made them. And when God was done making them, he says, what we've done is good. And then he looked again at the man and was like, okay, after we've put the man to test and he's passed the test, it is no longer good for him to be alone because he has done so well. Many of us forget that when God says it is not good for the man to be alone, it was not because he's made a mistake. It's because his assessment of man was so impressive. It is just like when you are in fourth grade and you write an exam and you do so well. I would say it is no longer good for you to be in fourth grade. It is time for you to go to the fifth grade. And so when God says it is not good for the man to be alone, it's not because God forgot to make a woman in the first place. It is because now, based on the development of the man, the man has now got into the level wherein he can handle a woman. When I was 16, I didn't even have a girlfriend. Because I was too stingy to have one. There was a girl that I liked. And another friend of mine liked her too. And when it was her birthday, it was time for us to prove who was qualified to be the boyfriend. The boy went and spent about $200. He had a special card made with the girl's name written in calligraphy. Your friend and brother Moses bought an $8 deodorant. It was a deodorant that I bought. In a way, not only was I telling the girl that I was cheap, I also said she smelled no, what of a lie? <laughs> Eight dollars. 
You know those ones in the can? I can never forget the, the flavor was lavender. It was red and purple. I bought it and I gave it to her. And guess what? The girl asked me from that moment not to call her again. Oh yeah. She said not to call. Simply because, let me tell you something. When you are not mature enough, it is not anybody's problem. It is your problem. I felt disrespected. I was like, what does she, who does she think she is? She's not even that cute after all. Then it became a problem. Whereas I was the one who was too stingy to have a woman. And so God looked from heaven and was like, he's not ready. Next. I wasn't ready. So imagine if I had a wife with that kind of attitude. And when it was time to propose to her, I would take some string from my old sweater and make it a ring and say with this rope. Because I wouldn't be able to come up with the thousands of dollars that it takes to buy diamond rings these days. I'm not saying that the Bible recommends it. If you can't afford it, it's okay. Just wait until you can. That's what I'm saying. No, but at the end of the day, you see, when we are not looking at, the, at ourselves first, and we're greedily thinking about life, women, it's all about me. He came and gave a thumbs up when he shook hands with everybody. It's about me. We are not allowing ourselves to see things from God's perspective. Balaam knew that God had blessed the children of Israel. But he also knew of their disobedience. Now listen, this is where it gets tricky. Balaam was a prophet or a priest of some kind. And you know what? He had heard about how God had blessed the children of Israel. And yet they still would complain. And they still would turn their backs and worship other gods. And so he felt justified in himself to do something about it. Because there was another king by the name of Balak. I don't know why the names sound alike, but it's just, yeah. I guess birds of the same feather, they sound alike. Balak hired Balaam and said to Balaam, I want you to help me curse the children of Israel. Because I want to go into battle with them. And if they're not cursed, I cannot win. Now, do you know what I just said? You know. Okay, let me break it down. Balak was a representation of Satan. Satan wants to pull down your brother and sister, but he cannot do it unless he can use you to do it. Brother Matthew, no matter how much Satan tries to discourage you, he cannot do it without using one of your brothers and sisters. The Bible says a man's enemies are those of his household. Now let me just ask you all that are in here. When was the last time that Satan broke your heart? Like, he literally came and said, Ryan, I'm taking you out on a date. And you're like, go on, Lucy. Because that's Satan's other name, Lucifer, right? And it's like, go on, Lucy. And then he stands you up. And you're angry. When was the last time Satan was your pastor? And he told you after six months, you'll be one of the ushers in this church. And after six months, he told you that he doesn't even think you're born again. And you feel so discouraged. When was the last time that happened? That doesn't happen. Has that ever happened to anybody? Satan showed up and stood you up. I know that guy may be mean, but he is not Satan. We know who he is. But let me tell you something. The people who do things like that are your brothers and sisters. And so Satan will come like Balak came to Balaam and say, help me to curse them. Otherwise, there's no way I can win over them. And Balaam was like, yeah, I can do that. Simply because they've not even been good enough. 
Look at how much God has blessed them. And yet they keep disobeying God. They keep going after other gods. And so he finds the justification to go ahead and curse them. Especially after he took the money. Because Balak offered him a lot of money. Now imagine for a second. If Balaam had thought about what he himself was doing. You see, God wanted it to be very clear that what Balaam felt was the justification for cursing the children of Israel. What he felt that they had done, God wanted to make it apparent that he was also doing the same. God said to him, don't go. He said, you said? God said, don't go. He said, I'm going. He got to the point wherein the donkey that he was riding on, even that donkey was like, look, boss, we shouldn't go. The donkey spoke. I'm using the word donkey. The old King James says an ass. Said, do not go. By the time the donkey was speaking, God was making it very clear to you and I that we read the story afterwards that the same thing that he said the children of Israel was guilty of, which was not obeying what God said, was what he was guilty of as well. Do you think that after seeing the, hearing the donkey speak, and the donkey was like, dude, 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 where, where are you going? There's an angel of the Lord standing here asking us not to go. And you still want to go. If you want to die, you are on your own. I'm living to eat hay another day. <laughs> the donkey was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm still going to be here tomorrow. But you, you can go and die. After all that drama, would you have thought that Balaam would go home and ask for forgiveness and, and, and bless the children of Israel? He still went ahead. He still went ahead. Now this is exactly what you and I, what we do. We're so, we're so obsessed with seeing other people pay for their sins. We're so preoccupied with the shortcoming of other people that we never fail. I mean that we always fail to see ours. Now how does this order or this wisdom or this principle how does it help anybody jesus said to his disciples and a cross section of people he said to them seek first the kingdom of god and its righteousness and all other things will be added unto you i used to ask people when i was growing up what is the righteousness of the kingdom and people would say all kinds of things They'd be like, oh, the righteousness of the kingdom is when you don't smoke and you don't drink. I'd be like, uh, that's actually not for the kingdom. That's for me. If I don't smoke and I don't drink, the kingdom of God is not the one that does not get to have cancer. It's me. Okay? So that is not for the kingdom. Yeah, you ask people, oh, so what is the righteousness of the kingdom? Oh, they say the righteousness of the kingdom is reading your Bible and praying every day. If I read my Bible and pray every day, I'm the one who grows spiritually. The kingdom of God does not get a star because I am praying and fasting. So what exactly is the righteousness of the kingdom? I asked people when I was growing up and nobody gave me an answer that was satisfactory. So I turned to God and I says, God, what is the righteousness of your kingdom? And he said to me, what are you? And that was when it dawned on me. The Bible says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ah, so if I am the righteousness of the kingdom, then whatever it is anybody is doing in this life, they need to seek the well-being and the interest 
of their brothers and sisters because those are the righteousness of God. So when the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, what he is telling you is, I want you to seek the kingdom, but don't overlook this guy. I want you to seek the kingdom, but make this lady priority. Because if you go above them or around them, you will miss the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is inside of them. The Bible says that the kingdom of God has come to be with man. And the Lord Jesus says it is within you accessible from your mouth. Because when he says it is within you, even in your mouth, what he was saying is you get to speak it forth. And so if the kingdom of God is in you and is in you and is in me, in all of my pursuit in life, seeking to get to that place of peace and joy and the things that the kingdom is made for, I can only do it the moment I recognize that you need to come before me. I cannot step into what is behind me. If I put myself first always and put everybody else last, and they are the ones who actually carry the kingdom of God. How can I walk into a house that is already behind me? Now this is the reason why many of us find it difficult to have a meaningful relationship with God. Or to find fulfillment in life. Simply because you expect that every problem you have is other people. And every help and every talent that you have is for only you. You want to feed yourself. And you know, I've given you the big spoon analogy here before. Every one of us, when we were born in this life, heaven gives us a very big spoon. As we grow, the spoon grows too. So if you're six foot tall, your spoon is also six feet long. So basically, you cannot feed yourself with a spoon that long, can you? I'm sure you've heard the story. This analogy goes thus, that two men were given spoons that were as tall as themselves. And they were standing in front of a big bowl of soup. And eventually, after many days, they died of starvation. Simply because every time they put that spoon in that soup and they try to bring it into their mouths, it spills all over the place because it's too big for them. Whereas all they needed to have done was feed one another. My very long spoon can get to your big mouth. I'm sorry, it can get to your mouth. As yours can get to me. And if we would feed one another, we would enjoy the soup of the kingdom. But if you're standing there and saying, you know what? You know the reason why they gave me this big spoon? is because of you. Because they know how greedy you are. So you are the reason why I got a big spoon. And then if I keep blaming you, guess what's going to happen? You will not get soup. I will not get soup. And the devil will come and drink the soup. This is what happens to each and every one of us. The order of the kingdom suggests that we need to prefer one, another's, one another. Others need to come before you. Husbands, your wife needs to come first. You get that stimulus check and you're already thinking of how you and the boys will go and spend it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You, that is the way to get into the kingdom of hell, not the kingdom of God. No, your wife comes first. And you're like, hey honey, Steamy's here. Yeah, I heard somebody call it that the other day. This, this team is here. <laughs> and guess what happens? The woman feels so honored because now things are happening in the right order. You see, when you order things right, there is alignment. And when there is alignment, light flows. And when light flows, everything glows. Your wife does not need makeup to be beautiful sometimes. She just needs that check. 
And then she starts to glow. And then when she starts to glow, let me tell you something. The order of things is such that when you make her feel honored, then she starts to honor you. But here you are, you keep your steamy to yourself and you're wondering why she's squeezing her face. And then you report her to the pastor and say, Pastor, I don't even know what's going on with my wife these days. She just talks to me anyhow. And in my heart, I'm saying, oh, you haven't even said nothing. She's only getting started. Because you do not honor her. By the time you start to honor her, guess what? She will honor you. Because kind begets kind. Many people complain that, oh, that person, he was mean. He punched me in my face. My first question is, what did you say? Because the Bible says that the mouth of a fool attracts blows. Just like the head of a king attracts crowns. That's what the Bible says. That as a crown is fitting for the head of a king, so are mighty blows for the mouth of a fool. And so when you say you get punched in the face, I want to ask you, what did you say? But then you're blaming the other person for being so quick to punch in you. Maybe you were quick to saying things you shouldn't have said. Imagine if there was anger staring up and you speak very softly and respectfully. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1, I believe it says that a soft answer turns away wrath. If you have just spoken very gently, maybe you will still be alive. You see what I mean? Maybe your mouth would not be so swollen. If you would speak, see, if you honor the other person. Now, um, let me tell you something. Let's go back to Cain and Abel. If Cain had gone to Abel and said, wow, you're my younger brother. I'm supposed to be teaching you stuff. I remember when I taught you how to climb that tree the other day. I remember you teaching you how to do this and how to do that. In fact, I taught you how to raise these animals. But now I want to learn from you. How did you make that sacrifice that made God so happy? Maybe Abel would have said something. Abel would have said, do you know that mom and dad sinned? And God says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. The grains that you presented before the Lord had no blood in it. And so God is not interested. You didn't even get his attention to start with. You see, but the moment I slaughtered my own animals and there was the shedding of blood, the Lord remembered his covenant that he made even before the foundations of the earth when the Lamb of God was slain. So what you need to do Bring me a bag of grains and I'll give you a lamb. And you slaughter the lamb and then you can sprinkle the grain on it. And then your sacrifice will be accepted. If he had gone, who knows what he could have learned. Was that not what God taught the children of Israel later before they brought their grain offering? They shed the blood of an animal. And some of them did not raise animals. But God told them, yeah, take what you have. Take your grains and go trade with someone who has what I'm asking for you to do. But he didn't go to ask. He was busy complaining. And whining. He didn't go to God. He was feeling justified within himself. Imagine what would have happened if he had honored his brother. Eventually his own life would have been honorable. Rather than being cursed. Being, he, was, he became a vagabond. People don't even use that word anymore. Vagabond. The wanderer. That's the, that's the modern watered down English of that word. He became a wanderer. What have we just read now? Jude chapter 12 says the ones who walk in the way of Cain, of Balaam, and of Korah, they become wanderers. The Bible says they're blown about by every wind until they wander into the crevices of hell. The reason why you're unsettled in your heart and you keep wandering away from the peace that God has for you is because you refuse to honor the other person. 
you refuse to put the other person in front of you if your spouse isn't happy don't just conclude it's because they can never be made happy do you know that i've heard people say that my wife is never happy i don't know what else to do okay i know what you can do ask god the bible says let him who lacks wisdom ask god who is a, who would give wisdom freely without reproach he would tell you what to do to make her happy rather than concluding that person is doomed forever some people have heard some people say oh, i don't talk to my parents anymore because those people they cannot be helped no matter what i do they're always finding fault with me rather than concluding that they cannot change and they are forever doomed ask god how you need to change in conclusion folks i want us to read from genesis chapter 1 verse 18 and we're going to close this off nicely genesis 1 18 this is what it says if i let's read from verse 17 so you can actually just read verse 18 you'll get it he says and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and god saw that it was good okay maybe we need to read verse 16 the bible says then god made two great lights the greater light to rule in the day and the lesser light to rule in the night he made the stars also and god set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth to one he said rule over the day and the other he said rule over the night and then he divided the light from the darkness and god saw that it was good let me tell you something folks imagine if both the sun and the moon want to shine at the same time we're going to have a very bright day all right if i almost too bright that some some plants will not be able to make it but at night, what's going to happen? We'll have nothing. But the sun and the moon, they have learned to bow out for one another. So when the morning comes, the moon is like, man, don't worry, son, you go first. He opens the door for the sun. So you go. And after the sun's been around the world, around the earth, he says to the moon, now it's time for you to come. They have that order, and that is what brings light. And God says when the order is right, then life is good. If I put you before me all the time, life is good. If you suddenly come out of nowhere and yell at me, rather than feel offended and be very greedy for honor and respect, rather than being like Cain and Balaam and Korah, if I had just said to myself, I wonder what's been going on in his day today. He's never like that. He's not the yelling type. Something must be going on. So let me find out first what it is. I'm going to ask him. And if he's too, too disturbed to tell me or too angry to speak without yelling, I'm going to ask God because God is never angry like that. Because we've seen God get angry in the Bible. When he's angry, he still speaks. Oh yeah, when God is angry, he still speaks. But some of us, when we're, not, when, we're not, when we're angry, we don't speak. We just act. We put up all the emotions. And so if that person is still upset, too upset to speak, I will then ask God. But I make it about him. I say, Ryan is not the yelling type. Let me find out first. Sometimes that I have practiced that, you know what I find? While I'm still searching within my spirit to see what the Lord may have said about the situation, the same Ryan will come and say, you know what, I'm so sorry that I yelled. I, I'm really sorry. It's just that when I was coming in here, I realized that this had happened and that had happened. And then we can both pray about it. And sometimes just talking about it, everything becomes okay. But guess what? If he had yelled at me and I have yelled in return because my little ego feels hurt, then, then Satan then comes and says, go, another punch. Yeah. 
One more. Because Satan is Balak. He wants you to weaken that other person so that he can take advantage of them. But the Bible says as brothers and sisters, you strengthen one another. And the order of things is this. If I strengthen Chris, then I become stronger because now when I am weak, he can be strong for me. And that is the reason why I never find it too much to give all of what is in me to somebody else because that is the order of the kingdom of God. In closing, I'm going to tell you or remind you of the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that the priest came and saw a man wounded on the side of the road and he says, oh, I've got priestly duties to perform. I'm not going to waste my time with this. And he walked away. The Levite came and the Levite was like, uh, I'm a Levite. I'm not even supposed to touch dead people. And this one is looking almost dead. Almost. Don't want to gamble. Not taking that risk today. And then he went away. Others came and they said the same thing. But when you read the account of all of their excuses, it was about them. None of them ever said, wow, I can imagine what pain this dude is in. You know what? That assignment can wait. I've seen people raise money to build churches when there were people in their congregation who could not even pay rent. Neglecting the pain of the least of the brethren just because of some edifice that you want to build. And by the time you're done building that edifice, you owe bank, the bank so much money that you only preach what they say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, many people forget that the Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. I have seen situations, a man once told me the account of how they built their church such that there were people who were planted there so that they can continue to remind him and say, today you must raise another offering. You must raise another offering. So rather than preaching the gospel of life, he is preaching. So at the end of the day, most of the things that we put in front of us because of our own selfish interest are the ones keeping us away from the kingdom of God. But the good Samaritan, he said, look, I can't leave a man in this condition. He says, I'm going to do something. And he put everything on hold that he was supposed to do. And he ministered to that man. When Jesus gave the disciples an insight into heaven, what did he say to them? He said to them, some people would come attempting to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I would say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I do not know you. And what was their response? They were like, oh, but we did miracles in your name. We organized crusades and many souls were saved. I was on 14 TV stations. I was preaching and breaking a sweat each time. And Jesus just said, what else did you do? Okay, is that all? Get out of here. And then the disciples were there wondering and Jesus said to them, he said another group of people came. Looking at the ones that I just sent off. And they were like, wow, if the Lord Jesus just sent off these big boys, the priests and the Levites, then maybe we should not even stand in front of him because we never did any one of those things. We, we healed nobody. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. Oh, guys, you come close. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like you. And they were like, you mean us? And Jesus says, yes, you. He said, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. And they were like, now we know you're mistaken. Because we didn't do any of that. And Jesus says, whatsoever you do to the least of the brethren, you do also unto me. So many of us have been looking to hear God more clearly. 
while you remain deaf to the needs of your brothers and sisters it ain't gonna happen many of us want to see visions oh yeah like oh anytime pastor moses comes up here he's always saying oh i see this i see that i want to see that too but then your children are already being led by satan into all kinds of bad habits and you can't see that and you want to see visions you need to be able to see the needs of those around you. And when you're done seeing the needs of those around you and hearing the pain of their hearts, then heaven will give you more. You will then receive insights on how to act in God's capacity in their lives. We need to get the order right. Many of us are aggressively chasing after God as we should. We should seek after him. But Jesus added a clause to that. He says, end the righteousness of the kingdom. So while you're seeking, you need to seek the interest of your brothers and sisters. For they are the righteousness of the kingdom. In fact, that kingdom that you're looking for is on the inside of them. My submission to you, ladies and gentlemen, is this. As we begin this series today. I want to encourage you to do one thing there is going to be many more by the grace of God of messages on this order of the kingdom the order of things as so I want you to listen to this again because I believe it's foundation for where we're going from here because the Lord said to me as he was telling me about this series over the weekend he said to me he said I want you to see some of your brothers and sisters and they took me into a room and I saw some of my brothers and sisters people that I know and I was like, what is going on here? The Lord said to me, he says, they're getting ready to have a party while I am getting ready to go to war. He said, but you fight first and then you party later. He says, they're so eager to put on the crown of glory and yet they're not ready to put on the crown of thorns. He said, many of them are ready to receive the crown of glory. He said, but they forget to put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of, I don't put on a helmet when I'm going to bed. No matter how angry I think my wife may have been, I don't put on a helmet when I'm going to bed at night. You put on a helmet when you know that your head needs protection. And God is saying, I want them to put on the whole armor of God. But look at them. They're dressing in their party gear. They want the crown of glory. They want the robe of righteousness. They want all those things. He said, but they're not ready. He said, I have those things for them eventually. He said, but the order has to be right. I just said that to give you an insight into what else is going to be in this series. There are so many things like that in the life of the Christian that is, make, that is mixed up. Because we haven't gotten the order right. Thank you for tuning in and we pray this podcast has blessed you today. For more information about this church, check out www.communion.house. That's www.communion.house. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Communion House. Hungry for more life-giving content? Head over to Communion House on YouTube for a full catalogue, live and on demand. We're honoured to have your audience. Wherever you're tuning in from, thank you and God bless you today.